You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. In this podcast, I cover common problems and injuries young athletes may face and ways to keep your kids healthy and as safe as possible while participating in sports. Leading experts in the field will join me to give you the best advice and what is the state of the art in thinking about issues young athletes may face. If you have a stake in the health of young athletes, whether as a parent or coach or even a young athlete yourself, this is the podcast for you. Join me as I bring you the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. A common question I get in clinic when seeing patients for concussion is, what's the best helmet out there for my son or daughter? Or what headgear is best for sports that use headgear instead of the helmets? Typically, we have the discussion that there is no helmet or headgear that prevents concussion, but we do know that some helmets and headgear perform better than others. But how is that determined? Today on the podcast, we have the director of the Virginia Tech Helmet Lab, who will help us navigate the world of helmet and headgear ratings. We'll learn the process about testing and how you can use that information to make an informed decision for a helmet purchase. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Dr. Steve Rosen is an associate professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering and Mechanics at Virginia Tech. Dr. Rosen conducts injury biomechanics research with an emphasis on concussion and safe product design and assessment. He has published over 100 peer review papers on these topics, some of which have been used to make sports safer through rule changes and improve protective equipment. He was a co-developer of the STAR evaluation system to quantify overall helmet performance in the context of real-world head impact exposure. Dr. Rosen is currently director of the Virginia Tech Helmet Lab, where he runs and maintains the Virginia Tech Helmet Ratings. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rosen. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great having you here. I'm interested in this discussion today because I think this has a lot of relevance as we enter another fall and sports starting up again. And you know, when I mentioned in the introduction, when I see patients in my office, that question that we get commonly from parents is, how do we pick that safest helmet for our child to prevent concussion? And I refer patients to the Virginia Tech Helmet Rating website to provide them really a trusted website. I found it to be a helpful resource for patients over the years. I was just actually on there the other day after having this discussion with a family, and I actually noticed that there's no longer just ratings for football helmets, but there's also hockey, soccer, bicycling, youth football, flag football, and you've got some future plans for baseball and softball helmets as well as helmet sensors. Steve, tell our listeners a little bit about how you got started in this process and the development of the STAR evaluation system. Sure. Well, this process started during my PhD work, and my background is in injury biomechanics. But what that means is I study the forces that cause injury to the human body. Because if you could understand those forces, you could start to do things to prevent injury from occurring. And this type of work, you know, I work in sports a lot, but we also do automotive and military work, and it's translatable across all those broad fields. For this particular project, I was doing some basic research in determining the biomechanics of brain injury, which is something that's traditionally very difficult to study because it's a physiologic response. There's not like a broken bone endpoint that we would typically look at. The methods we were using is that we were working with the Virginia Tech football team and we were instrumenting the players with sensors and we were measuring all their head impacts that they're experiencing. And we were doing this for a number of years and we were pairing that biomechanical data that was collecting head acceleration data with clinical data saying whether or not someone was concussed or we were seeing some other kind of deficits in the players. And one day the equipment manager came up to us and said, you know, I'm looking to buy some new helmets. What should I buy? What's the safest ones out there? And we said, you know, we don't know. We don't test helmets, but we can. We bought pretty much every helmet that was available in the market back then. That was in 2010. 
And we saw huge differences between the helmets that were available in the market at that time. You know, we're talking about dramatic differences in risk. We told Virginia Tech, we let them know, you know, what helmets would test best, but we also felt the responsibility that, you know, this information should be publicly available. All the helmets that we tested passed a, passed a minimum safety standard through NOXI, and it says whether or not a helmet's safe to be used in the field. And what that means is, you know, you're not likely to have a catastrophic head injury, so severe brain bleed, skull fracture, stuff like that, life-threatening stuff. And what it doesn't look at is concussion, at least back then. And it does not tell you any difference between helmet A versus helmet B. So what we viewed our role in this space as kind of a supplement to the standard where, okay, people know the helmet's safe and you're not going to be seriously injured, but how do I know which helmet best reduces risk? So we created a website and posted all that information and made it publicly available. And, you know, it, it's really kind of grew legs into the industry. And, you know, I, I think it's one of the de facto national standards on safety. All the helmet manufacturers are very concerned about what their star rating and it's, you know, led to a couple of things. It's led to manufacturers using our test methods as a design tool to make safer helmets, but it also allows consumers to make informed decisions, which really drives the manufacturer's incentive. Steve, you mentioned Noxy. Can you explain to our listeners what Noxy actually is? Noxy is a standards organization that sets minimum safety requirements for different protective equipment. They primarily do helmets, but they have a couple other standards for like lacrosse balls and uh, shin guards and things like that. But, you know, helmets is the main space and their basic test involves impacting football helmets or a lacrosse helmet and uh, looking at what the head acceleration is. So, you know, how fast, how quickly does the head change in velocity when it's hit at a certain energy? And there is a threshold. So you're either above it or you're below it. If you're below it, you pass the standard. That threshold is set based on a specified risk value for severe head injury, something that's, you know, life-threatening. Talk us a little bit about how a helmet or headgear that you obtain is tested in your lab. Sure. You know, it might make sense to tell you a little bit of how we create a test methodology first. Yeah, um, Absolutely. Sure, and I'll summarize it real briefly, but everything we do starts in the real world, just like I described with the football study. We instrument people, we use video methods, but what we're doing is we're collecting data. So we learn more about the head impacts that people are actually experiencing in the field. And once we learn enough, and what I mean by enough, like where on the head are they impacted? How hard are they impacted? How frequently are they impacted? Which impacts are most likely to cause concussion? Information like that. We identify the most common and highest risk conditions, and we translate them to controlled laboratory test conditions. So something we can repeat and test every helmet the same way, but it's representative of what people actually are seeing. So we test a range of severities. It's not just the ones at concussive levels. It's also at low and medium level impacts. Depending on how hard it is and where on the helmet, we provide it with a weighting. So how much does that impact count towards the total score? based on how likely someone is to experience that condition. And then we look at cumulative risk across all impact conditions. So that's the general framework that we use. And it's true for every methodology we have, whether it's football, hockey, soccer, headgear. But the way we test the helmet is that we will independently purchase helmets. Sometimes it's directly through manufacturers, preferably it's through distributors. If we're worried about a manufacturer knowing that a particular helmet's coming here for some reason, We'll have someone anonymously buy it for us and send it to us. And our real goal is to be independent of people gaming the system. 
once we have the product on hand, we test every single product the same way and we run them through the test battery. Generally, it consists of a range of impact locations on the helmet over a range of velocities or impact energies. And we combine all that information into a single score that's kind of easily digestible for consumers so they can make an informed decision. When you talk about that, how can we be sure what the results of what you're testing in the lab will translate to a reduction in injury on the field? And obviously, specifically, we're talking about concussion. If we look at the literature in the space on, you know, can helmets reduce concussion risk? It's kind of all over the place. And, you know, I don't want to get too into the science right now, but there's some serious flaws that happen in this research where, you know, you're lumping groups of helmet types together and comparing it different conditions that kind of wash out differences that you would expect. But with that said, there's been a handful of studies that we've seen recently where people are comparing helmet types. They're controlling for all these other factors that are going to influence concussion rate with a specific helmet. We've done one here where we've had two helmet types on the Virginia Tech football team. We partnered with seven other universities and we compared one helmet to another while controlling for the number of times each player hit their head. And why that's important is we're not comparing, say, you know, a starting linebacker to a second string kicker on a bench who might be wearing one helmet type and never actually hit his head over the course of a season. Mm -hmm. And what we see is very consistent results in terms of concussion rates by helmet type versus what we're predicting in a lab. Independently, we've also seen NFL run a study where they're looking at, and they have access to a lot of data that you know most people wouldn't have access to. But if they compared helmet type and concussion rate in the NFL while controlling for you know number of plays that they're in and a number of other factors, we see data that are very consistent in that there are pretty large differences between the helmets that are available. So it's not just that you're wearing a helmet, which helmet you choose to wear matters. The reason why I think we see these differences in the on-field data, and it's consistent with what we see in a lab, is because of where our system starts. So everything we do starts in the real world. And, you know, we custom build our test equipment and we tune it so it's exactly matching what we measure in the field in the actual athletes. And because we're realistically creating those conditions in the lab, it's going to translate back to the field. I'd be curious when you came out with your rating system to start off with, did you get much pushback from manufacturers? I can certainly see that being a possibility. I would say we had extreme pushback. It was very cutting edge back then, and no one really dealt with anything like that at that time. You know, our background, I said, was injury biomechanics and really the automotive industry, which is why we were actually doing the football research to begin with. They wanted to know how to make cars safer to reduce brain injury risk. But a lot of what we've done was kind of create an analogy to what we see in the automotive world. Like if you go to buy a car, there's ratings for how safe it is. And, you know, we thought the same thing should exist for helmets. Turns out the helmet manufacturers really didn't like us saying that one product was better than theirs. And it created a pretty hostile space for a couple of years. Um, some manufacturers were, you know, threatening to sue us and others were hiring people to kind of discredit what we were doing. But at the end of the day, you know, we won out because the science is sound. And I think it really resonated with consumers that we were independent of the helmet manufacturers. Prior to us putting data out there, the only data that you could find on a helmet was something that the helmet manufacturer advertised itself. And, you know, it was very opaque in terms of what those numbers were, what they meant, and why they were cherry-picked to be what they were. 
And now you don't really see any of that anymore. You know, the manufacturers got in line because people were starting to require five-star helmets. Mm-hmm. And they would say, you know, I, I'm not going to buy anything for my team unless it's a five-star helmet. And that really forced the manufacturer's hands. Instead of arguing with us over, you know, a course of two years, you know, they started investing in it and using the methodology to make helmets that'll perform better on the field. Now, you mentioned ways earlier as far as how you try and reduce the likelihood of any influence from the manufacturers by purchasing these things and doing, obviously, some of the independent way of making sure that they don't know that you're testing their helmet. But obviously, it's going to get tested at some point. But, you know, the other concern, obviously, is is funding, because obviously, you know, your lab's going to have to be funded somehow. Uh, is there any concerns there? Do Do we have to worry that you guys are being funded by the helmet manufacturers at any point? No, we've really strive to be 100% independent from home manufacturer funding. A lot of our funding that goes into the basic work comes from various sources. So we've had, for two of our methodology, we've had big NIH studies looking at concussion in football players. We had one for looking at it at a college level and then a follow-up one looking at the youth level. And the real goals of those projects were not to create helmet rating systems, but to better understand the forces that cause brain injury in those populations because there's almost a limitless number of translational applications that you could do from that. In our view, one of our translational pieces of that research was to create the helmet ratings because we had all the data that we needed to create such a system. Um, For our bicycle helmet ratings, it comes from the Insurance Institute of Highway Safety. And then we also have a lot of institutional support from Virginia Tech. But we try to make it very clear that, you know, we're 100% independent of any home manufacturer funding. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will continue to talk helmet ratings. You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcast Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at whatisthepodcastmatrix.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my growing audience of engaged parents and dedicated coaches of young athletes, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. We are back with Dr. Steve Rosen from Virginia Tech, and we are talking about the Virginia Tech Helmet Rating Lab. You mentioned earlier in the testing process that manufacturers are now using your method a little bit as far as testing their own equipment. Is there any concern there that now we're developing helmets to pass your test? I mean, that was obviously a concern before with Noxie is the Noxie standard is that we would just 
make it so it would pass the drop test and everything would be great and you'd be fine and you'd get your helmet approved. But is there concern now that manufacturers are just testing to your tests? And you can talk about that a little bit in terms of, obviously you, you mentioned too, you're using your real world to kind of develop how you test. So we're trying to do that. And I can certainly see that as a, as a plus for your system, as opposed to the old drop test that was the standard. Sure. And I think it's a fair concern. It's something we're always cognizant of. I view it as our responsibility to make the test conditions as realistic as possible. Because ultimately, if we have a realistic test condition in a lab, it's going to translate back to the field. If we're matching our impact energies and we're getting realistic head accelerations resulting from those impacts and our things like momentum exchange are consistent, you know, we're doing a very good job of replicating those. And that's really our goal because we understand that part of the engineering design process is you need kind of assessment. And this serves as one of those assessment tools and you design to those assessments. So, I mean, it's going to happen no matter what test you have. So what we do is do our best to make sure that the test that we have is what people are seeing. Because you could devise a test in the lab that you're just hitting at a range of energies at some given locations and it might not be something that someone ever sees. And then you don't have a very good assessment of what people actually are going to see in those scenarios. Maybe I, I think another part of talking about that would be kind of explaining to our listeners what the old Noxy drop test standard was and why your test is different than that. Sure. The Noxy standard that we originally tested all the helmets to back in 2010 time period is a linear drop test. So it's a head forearm that's guided by two wires, put a helmet on the head. The head has some sensors in it, accelerometers that measure acceleration of the head. And it's dropped from different heights on different locations. Across all the tests that are done, it needs to be below a certain number, that's some threshold that's representative of catastrophic injury. We started our system using the Noxy drop test system because it was something that manufacturers could easily implement in a lab. And that turned out to be a a decision that had pluses and minuses. A couple of years later, what we did was upgrade the system to be even more realistic. Because if we think about the forces that cause injury, when you hit your head, there's kind of linear motion and there's rotational motion. And the dominant factor in producing a brain injury is that rotational motion of the head. You know, your brain moves relative to your skull, it stretches and it produces an injury response. We built a impact pendulum where we hit a head form on a head and neck that mimics that linear rotational motion that people see in the real world. And from those measurements, because we're making measurements both linearly and rotationally, they're correlated to concussion risk. And then we use that information. While we started in the same space with a very simple drop test, it really evolved into kind of separating from the original Noxy standard, which was a simplified drop test, to something that's more representative of what people see. When you created the rating system, you use a five-star system. It's kind of like other online rating systems. How does a helmet get a five-star rating versus four-star or, or any lower ratings than that? Well, there's two separate processes that we use to determine that initial, what's a five-star, what's a four-star, what's a three-star. We got to remember when we test, we get an overall score or helmet performance. So we get a single number that's output from a, you know, a number of different tests that we do. So we look at this number across all the helmets and 
because there's real no reference point at that time, we look at clusters of helmets. So we'll do a cluster analysis and we'll see if there's kind of this natural grouping of helmets. Because if we have two helmets with very similar scores and one's just above another one, you know, we don't really think that there's a difference between those two. But if you have like three helmets that have similar scores and then two helmets that have significantly better scores, but they're similar, we consider those like a natural grouping of helmets. When we started, we were drawing lines between those natural groups and saying, well, this is the best performing group, which we called five star. And this is the next best performing group, which is four star and so on. So there was kind of this natural separation in a way the test data collected and we drew lines in between them. As we continued, we started to evolve in and as we learned more over the course of the last decade, looking at ways to quantify them in terms of risk reduction. If we look at something like our bicycle helmet ratings, because our reference point is a little different and we can, I think, safely assume that someone wasn't wearing a helmet for every single one of our test conditions, it would have produced an injury. We can look at relative risk. So for a five-star helmet and the bicycle helmets, we're talking less than 30% overall risk compared to a bare head. Four star is 40% risk, three star is 50% risk, and so on. So there's kind of this risk reduction threshold in some of our newer methodologies based on the fact that, you know, people don't always have to wear helmets in those scenarios, which is a little different than, you know, what we have with football where everyone's required to wear a helmet. So if a parent or coach was wanting to figure out how to use the rating system to determine what they should or should not get, should it only be the five star helmets? It really depends on what you're looking at. You know, sometimes we'll see a scenario where someone's making a five-star helmet just to prove that they could make a five-star helmet, but it's not very practical or you can't get it or they don't really produce it. And that's a really frustrating thing for us when it looks like people are just trying to get at the top of the ratings. So what we're working on are kind of ways to discourage that from happening. It's not too common, but, you know, we've seen examples of it. Mm -hmm. There's a handful of five-star helmets available for a particular sport. I would wholeheartedly recommend that you choose from those five stars. Now, are there big differences between the five stars that exist? That's kind of sport dependent. We're about to rescale our football helmet ratings at the varsity level because we've gotten to the point that, you know, every helmet that's made is now a five star. That's their goal. And while that's good for the manufacturers, you know, that's not necessarily what our goal is. You know, they figured out how to make five star helmets and, you know, we're happy about that. And everything's better than where it was a decade ago. But by everything being a five-star, it kind of loses its ability to communicate to consumers the relative differences between that five-star group. So we're going to break up the five-star group into five, four, and maybe even three-star groups so we have better differences. Because if we look at this, the score that the helmets are getting, their overall performance score, you know, we'll have cases where one's like half as much as another. And that's a pretty big difference. For something like football, you know, there's a lot more into it. We should be looking at five-star, but you should also be looking at probably what the score is. And we're going to update that to make that a little more clear for consumers. Outside of that, you know, you need something that fits well. You need something that you're going to think is comfortable enough to wear. But, you know, there's not, in my opinion, a ton of other factors that are really important. Cost is really important. We understand everyone can't afford a $1,000 helmet. We're starting to see those. We see yeah. things... It's kind of crazy how expensive they've got, but, you know, I'm always happy to see in the different ratings that we have, 
we have some of the cheaper helmets that are the top performing helmets. You know, the bicycle helmet I wear was one of the cheapest, but also one of the best performing helmets that we tested. You know, I like how you guys break that down on your website. And and we will have for sure a link to the ratings website in our show notes. We'll make sure to have that available for people to reference to so they can do their own investigation on this. Question I, I would have is, have you ever tested a refurbished helmet as to whether or not that makes a difference in the ratings down the road? Not formally in our star rating process, but we do test a lot of used product. We don't see any indication of major degradation in terms of performance. Generally speaking, provided it's not an, you know a one impact style helmet like a bicycle helmet, and it's something like a football helmet, we see pretty consistent results regardless of what the helmet age is. And you know a lot of these things are over designed quite a bit. And if anything that happens to the helmet is is that it softens a little, that's actually kind of beneficial to the helmet because it manages the forces better. The only place you kind of get in trouble in is if maybe it degrades to the fact that it starts bottoming out and can no longer manage energy. But I've never really seen that in that style helmet. You know, for the most part, I would say, you know, provided that the helmet's refurbished properly, its performance should be on par with kind of what you would expect out of a new helmet. How often would you recommend normally getting a helmet or headgear being replaced? Obviously, we know when you crack a bicycle helmet, you get in an accident, you should be replacing that. So that that's kind of the common knowledge out there. But what about when we're talking about the other sports? You know, if something doesn't fit as well anymore, if something is clearly breaking down or, you know, you sweat in these things and they're, they're starting to get pretty gross, that's an indication to me that outside of safety rankings that, you know, you'd want to replace it its performance isn't going to really drop off over time. You know, we retest helmets years later and, you know, we see consistent results. What you might want to think about is, well, I bought this helmet five years ago and at the time it was the best helmet. But if I look at the ratings now, you know, I'm seeing that there are a lot better helmets and many more better helmets than what I had. You know, at that point you might want to consider, well, what's the difference between what I have now versus what I had then and, or what I could get and make a decision based on that. But Generally speaking, you know, you don't have to really worry about, I think, the helmet degrading. There are lifespans on the helmets, but even at the end of those lifespans, we generally see consistent results. I guess you have to worry about like the helmet falling apart or evidence of degradation. And if you can visually see that, that would be an indication that maybe, you know, the helmet won't hold up for an impact that, you know, would otherwise what should we expect in the future from your lab? Your website lists ratings coming from baseball and softball and for sensors. And I'm I'm actually interested in the sensors and how you plan to assess those. Well, we have a number of ratings that are about to come out. The sensor stuff is ready. We have a pretty unique approach to that and that it's a two-phased approach. For the sensors, and those who don't know, they're the devices that you put on an athlete to measure how hard they hit their head. And a lot of them offer real-time monitoring so that, you know, during a game or during a practice, you can monitor the head impacts that people are experiencing. And the thought behind that is that, you know, you might see a big impact in one player and it might be a, a flag or an indicator that, you know, maybe you should watch them or take a look at them or talk to them. This has been a technology that's existed for a long time now. The accuracy of these devices vary widely, and there's really no information available to anyone on terms of how, how accurate one is versus another. And if you're not getting accurate measurements, data are meaningless. So for the sensors, what we'll do is we'll test them in a lab using a very similar approach we use with the helmet testing, but we understand that that's kind of just a system check. Like a controlled laboratory condition for testing a sensor is just 
do the electronics work? It's a gut check. Do you get reasonably accurate measurements? And, you know, any sensor should be able to do that. Unfortunately, not everything passes that. The next thing we'll do is we'll test it in the real world. We'll follow people with video wearing the sensors and we'll correlate what we see on the video to what the sensor is measuring. We create an accuracy score based on that because sometimes the sensors measure many more impacts than what you would expect to see based on your video analysis or you're getting wildly high values compared to perceived severity that you would see on video and they're all indications that you're getting erroneous data. So we're going to have probably in the next two months that data up on the website where people can look and see you know, how accurate one sensor is versus another. Beyond sensors, we are about to release ratings for rugby headgear and snow sport helmets. So those are kind of immediate releases that I would expect in the next two months. Long term, we'll be adding baseball, softball, equestrian, and even occupational head protection like hard hats, something that has another set of issues compared to what we see in the sports world. But, you know, our goal at the end of the day is to look at areas where there's a lot of room for improvement and then use the ratings as a mechanism to, you know, create that improvement. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to add to help our listeners understand or use the rating system? One thing I want to make clear is that no helmet is going to prevent all concussions. What I've been talking about are risk reduction. No helmet is concussion proof. Anyone in any helmet could still experience concussion. And one of the things that we see in our real world data is that, you know, the tolerance to head impact for the onset of concussion varies a lot person to person. So some people might get hurt at lower accelerations. Some people might get hurt at higher accelerations. And it's something that's really difficult to model. And that is not accounted for in this. What we do is look at averages and concussion rates across the population in what we do. You look at these ratings, it's not this this is the best five-star helmet. I'm not going to get a concussion. And that's not true. You still have risk. It's just less risk than you would see in another helmet. I think that's an important point because we get oftentimes that statement in our office by parents is that I bought the best helmet on the rating site. So that means my kid's not going to get a concussion. Then we obviously have to have that discussion that that doesn't necessarily translate into, <laughs> into that uh, conclusion there. So so I appreciate that. As I mentioned earlier, we will definitely have the link to the ratings website in our show notes. And there's also links on that at that website for the numerous publications that have come from Dr. Rosen and others in his group that can be found on that website as well. I'd really like to thank Dr. Rosen for his time today and helping us learn more about the Virginia Tech Helmet Ratings. This is an extremely useful and needed resource for parents and coaches, and certainly also for physicians and athletic trainers to be aware of. Be sure to check out our entire podcast library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. We appreciate your five-star reviews, and if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review, we'd love it if you took a minute to do so through your favorite podcast streaming resource. We thank you for your continued listenership, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at HYAPod and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Thank you for joining us today for the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Please review our podcast and spread the word about us. You can find our full episode library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. This is Dr. Mark Halstead, and you've been listening to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast.